Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. We are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And today on the line, we have Jordan Hale from Root Cause Integrative Medicine in Ammon, Idaho. If you don't know where Ammon, Idaho is, it's a beautiful town really close to Idaho Falls. Um, and they are located kind of in the mountains or close to the mountains. So it's super cold and snowy there at times. I don't know if you got any snow there yet, Jordan? A little bit. Yep. All right. Well, welcome to our show, Jordan. I appreciate you being on today. Thank you so much for having me. So as every time with Health Solutions, you can find us on my personal Facebook page, streaming live on Facebook and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies YouTube site, also on all the podcast forums. So your favorite podcast forums like Google Play and iHeartRadio and SoundCloud and so on. So go to those forums, like our YouTube page or subscribe to our YouTube page so you don't miss any episodes. So with that, I'm just going to introduce Jordan a little bit and I'll mostly let him introduce himself. Jordan Hale is a physician assistant, and he can talk a little bit about his history of why he became a physician assistant and a little bit about integrative medicine. He'll educate us on integrative medicine. So, Jordan, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. All right. So kind of to introduce myself, I, uh, I grew up here in Idaho, uh, born and raised. I've pretty much been in Ammon most of my life, other than traveling around a little bit. But I uh, met my wife close by at a college. She's from upstate New York, but we met up there and She's kind of, I always knew I wanted to do something with medicine, but once I, once I met her, she said, Hey, yeah, I think this PA route, you know, would be a, a good thing for us. So uh, I went to PA school in near Philadelphia at Salus university. So I got my master's in physician assistant studies there and really enjoyed my time there. Once I graduated, I went and practiced family medicine in kind of central California. And I was doing that for a year. And when I was practicing medicine there, you know, during my education, I had a preceptor and a professor who both kind of did integrative medicine. So I was really interested in it. You know, my wife had our first kid in school and, you know, she was using a midwife and the midwife really opened my eyes as well to some things. And when I was practicing in California, I had just gotten back from a conference of kind of integrative medicine. And, you know, they talk so much about the importance of food. You know, like Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Amen. And I had this patient who came in and she's like, hey, I've been struggling with some anxiety and depression lately. And I said, OK, you know, how, how is your diet? How are you eating? And she said, I'm eating terrible. I'm eating junk food. I'm not focusing on eating, you know, fruits and vegetables. And so I said, OK, you know, so this is kind of a little bit newer thing for you. It's getting worse. Let's just try a two week trial of having you eating healthy. I just want you to eat whole foods and avoid eating junk food. And then let's see you back in two weeks. And if you're not getting better, you know, we can discuss treatment at that point. But. She came back two weeks later and she said, the depression, anxiety are gone, you know, and so that was just a wow moment for me and helped me realize, wow, this integrative, you know, medicine, you know, having food be thy medicine is really powerful. And so and did she, just, just out of curiosity, was she on any medications or tried medications for depression, anxiety before? Not that I recall. She was not on anything at the time. Great. I'm glad she got to see you. Go ahead, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, you know, after about three months, you know, I was there for a year and after about three months of having graduated and been practicing medicine, I realized, you know what, a lot of this is just putting band-aids on things. And I know that there's there's more to this. And I really want to be able to help people, you know, get better, truly get better. And so the opportunity came for me to move back to my hometown and practice integrative medicine. Uh, so I was at a great clinic that I was able to be at for a couple of years. And I learned a lot. 
uh, for my preceptor there. And then, you know, the time came where it was, it was time to go a different route and I was either going to move back to California or decided to kind of do my own thing. So I opened up our little clinic root causing the grave medicine. And I've been there, we've been open a year and a half and it's been great. So I love the name. My, my wife pointed that out. It's a great name. So can you educate us a little bit about, you were talking about a practice you were in that was just putting Band-Aids on things. Mm-hmm. Um, can you educate us the difference between putting Band-Aids on, on things and then integrative medicine? Yeah. So, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman always says conventional medicine is the medicine of what? Integrative functional medicine is the medicine of why, right? So you get someone in and, and you ask yourself, what are, they, what are we dealing with? What's the diagnosis? You know, what's my first line medication therapy that I'm going to use for this? And so it just became a memorization game, you know, and I got pretty good at memorizing after about three, four months. And so, you know, it's pretty quick. You come in, this is your, this is your diagnosis. This is our first line therapy. Come back in a month. We'll go to number two if that's not working for you. Uh, and functional integrative medicine, it requires you to think more, right? You, someone comes in for a complaint and they tell you their complaint and you don't just say, okay, you ask more questions and say, you know, well, why, why is this person experiencing these symptoms? And it could be a whole, it's not always the same reason, right? Which is why you've got to really dig down and, and, you know, do some labs and figure out why someone is feeling sick. And when you address the why you can then, you know, you're not necessarily reliant on medications the rest of your life. And sometimes, you know, medications, obviously we know they have their benefit, but it's so important to address the why because then you get so many benefits on top of that. Right. It's like we, we like to say here, um, you know, treat the problem. Don't just, you know, fix the problem. Don't just treat the symptom. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, Janet, do you have any questions for um, Jordan on integrated medicine? Yes, I do, because I think we, um, we kind of have an idea that um, because it's not like our so-called Western um, type of practice that it's a little bit hokey. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you get people that are like, how is that different? Um, so I'm assuming it's not just food that we're looking at in somebody's life. There's other things. So what other components are we um, examining and and working into the therapy and, and that with the client? Um, and it may include medication from what what mm-hmm. I'm hearing, but what other aspects of, of your treatment are we talking about? Yeah. So like you said, you know, it's not always food and food is not always the only thing that's going to be an issue. You know, not all patients who eat healthy are going to get over their anxiety and depression just like that. Right. Um, but, you know, there are certain things that we find can be some of those root causes. So one of the areas that we focus on as a clinic is digestive health, right? 70% of your immune system is in your digestive tract. Uh, if you've got inflammation in your gut, you've got inflammation in your in your whole body. And so whether that's some overgrowth of different bugs inside your gut that are causing that, or whether you've developed food sensitivities because of that imbalance of the bugs, you know, that can play a huge role in someone's health. And so that's often the first place that we go to help people with any any concern that they have is, you know, how is your digestion doing? Is your Is your gut health optimal? So that's a big area that we focus on. Hormones is another really important part, right? And with all the toxins that we're exposed to, you know, hormones are just going to continue to be a bigger issue because of those toxins that we're being exposed to and just the high stress that we have. And so hormone, you know, is hormones are something else that we really like to look at. Uh, Toxins, like I mentioned, you know, being a cause of the low hormones, well, they can they can lead to a whole lot of other things, too. So we like to look at different you know, sources of toxins, whether it's cleaning products or someone's got a root canal something like that. Mold exposure, you know, in the home can be one of those root causes of things going on. And then, you know, we want to make sure that people are sleeping well, that they're being active. 
you know, those are also really important things for, for any concern. Yeah, that we talk about that often on this podcast. It's really, there's really three things in general that you can do to make your body healthy. And that's um, eat, exercise, and sleep. And, um, you know, there's there's some other details, in, a lot of details in between, but those are the three. And really, if you think about it, um, sleep is the most important. I mean, sleep is something that we will die without sleep before we'll die without food. So, yep. yeah. So if somebody doesn't have good sleep patterns, they there's a lot of things are not going to get well, um, including or especially including their hormones because their hormones are all off because they're not sleeping well. So, and um, probably second, go ahead, Jordan. I was going to say, when I see someone who's young and their hormones are off, that's the first thing I ask is what's your sleep like? Yep. Right. And, um, you know, of course the second most important I believe is um, food um, because we can, we don't have to stay alive. We don't have to exercise to stay alive. We do have to eat to stay alive. Um, so exercise is the third most important. And I'm not saying it's not important because exercise is very important. Movement, or whatever we want to, whatever we want, however we want to call it, is very important. Um, but I think sleep, exercise, or sleep, nutrition, and um, exercise in that order are probably probably order of importance. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then you it. can, yeah, and then you can look at the details in between, like you say, gut health and all those things. Um, you know, can get fixed with, with proper nutrition. So um, thank you for sharing that with us and, and tell us, you know, educating us about um, integrative medicine. So, yeah, thank you. So one thing, when I first met you, I, I, um, I appreciate you. We had a great luncheon and we connected well with you and your staff. And, um, you know, one thing you mentioned is um, you mentioned about pornography addiction mm -hmm. and, you know, that's something that I got to tell you, we've never talked about on this show. And it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. And I think one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, we've talked about drug addiction, we've talked about alcohol addiction, and we've treated them differently. We don't shame people that have that are alcoholics or that are drug addicts. We, we, we get them into treatment programs. Um, unfortunately, um, pornography is not looked at that way. Now, I'm a big believer when I learned in pharmacy school, I was learning about addictions and I, you know, of course I was focused on drug addictions, but then I realized that I think all addictions are rooted in, you know, the same place in the brain, um, whether it be gambling, whether it be pornography, whether it be um, drugs or alcohol, I think they're all rooted in the same area of the brain. So I appreciate Appreciate you educating our viewers on this subject. Um, and, you know, let's just dive dive right into it. What got you into um, the porn addiction field? Yeah. So, I mean, pornography is such a prevalent issue, right? And like you said, you know, it's kind of, it's not something we talk about all the time. And so everyone has either been affected by pornography or knows someone really well who's been affected by pornography. And, you know, it's affected, you know, people in my life. And so as I've gotten into an integrative and functional medicine, I, you know, I said to myself, you know, even starting four or five years ago, I said, you know, I wonder if something in integrative medicine can peep help, help people with pornography addiction. And that's when I started doing research. And, you know, that's when I, we came up kind of with what, what, what we've created to try to help people with pornography addiction. Uh, but in that, in that journey, you know, I've learned so much about how much of an issue it really is and how prevalent it is. Uh, and just some of the things that we as a society can do to try to help people with this issue. So can you, when you talk about prevalence, can you share some of the numbers? I know you shared them with me a few weeks back. Can you share some of the numbers about prevalence of it? 
Yeah. So depending on kind of the study that's been done, you know, our numbers are different. But for example, uh, in, 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 in male teenagers, you know, younger than 18, the prevalence is anywhere between 90 and 98 percent. OK, it's extremely high. Uh, and as people get older, you know, those rates do go down. But even even between adult men, uh, the percentage of, of men looking at pornography has ranged from 70 to 90 percent, just depending on the study. And now, so, is that regular? Is that regular or is that they least, viewed it before or yeah, de depending on the study? But most of it's at least monthly. Wow. OK, so um, what about the prevalence of pornography in women? That's a rising issue. Is that correct? It absolutely is. Yeah. And one third of pornography viewers are females. Okay. Another really interesting stat is one in five males have admitted to looking at pornography at work and it's 13% of females. Wow. Okay. So why is it so prevalent? Yeah. Great question. And you know, probably number one has got to be technology, right? With the advantage of the internet in the early nineties, um, you know, you used to have to go out of your way to look at pornography. And so for a lot of people, it was easier to kind of, you know, even if they had an addiction, it was easier for them to kind of control that because they just don't go to the store with their bag, right, to get it or, you know, go to the video store to buy your VHS, you know, and that's only been in the last, you know, 70 years that they, they've even had the VHS stuff. So the ability of people to access pornography is just higher than it's ever been. You know, most people have, you know, a handheld device that they carry with them, right? And that's where most people are looking at their pornography, if it's not on a computer, it's likely on their handheld device. And so it's just so easy to access. You just have to push a couple buttons. Wow. The other thing along with that that's really interesting, and there's there's a an organization um, called Fight the New Drug, and they were created to kind of help people understand, you know, the problems of pornography and educate youth on different ways that they can overcome pornography. But uh, one thing that they pointed out of why pornography has become such an issue is also because of money right? People started realizing that they could use pornography to advertise and people, they were able to sell more things, right? And we see it, it's so sad. We see it in things like the hotel industry where, you know, a lot of the room service money that they're making is from pornography. And so people see a price tag on it. And that's, that's really, you know, a combination of the internet and then money is why this has become such a big issue. Right. So um, tell us, why you're fighting this fight because who all does this this affect i mean it's not just a personal issue is it just affects one person or does it affect how many people does it affect downstream yeah absolutely so you know just just like drugs have effect on people you know people who are, are indulging in pornography it can actually affect their quality of life so uh dr donald hilton who's done a lot of research on pornography addiction and he has a you know a great book out there as well um but he has talked about the hypofrontality that happens with pornography addiction. And they've done research on this. And so the frontal lobe of the brain can literally shrink, uh, but also people lose their ability to make good choices, right? Um, research has shown that people who are viewing pornography regularly have more aggression, physical and verbal aggression. Uh, divorce rates are a lot higher with pornography viewing. So for example, there was one study that showed your risk of divorce is twice over the next four years if one partner is looking at pornography, right? And it can just, it's literally one of those things that's destroying the family. I really believe that. Um, there's also research showing, you know, that over 50% of people when they're going through divorce, you know, the spouse mentions pornography as being one of the primary reasons up there with like money and things like that, you know, as the reason for that divorce. So I truly believe it is something that is, is destroying the family. It affects people's ability to work, 
you know, people who are really addicted, they can't think as clear. They're not as productive. That's a huge thing with people who, you know, overcome pornography addiction. That's one thing they say is I'm just able to be so more productive, get more done in my life. And then people are just a lot happier. You know, you know they say that about 28% of people who are viewing pornography see it as a problem. Uh, but people who are able to overcome it just say, you know, my life is just so much better, less anxiety, less depression. And maybe that's something we should talk about too, because, you know, anxiety and depression can lead people to look at pornography, but at the same time, looking at pornography can lead to anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and attention deficit disorder, right? Those are things that pornography is, is leading to. Well, it's, it's like a drug addiction, right? Um, I mean, initially, initially, you know, um, you know, alcohol is going to help you with your anxiety. But in reality, when you come down off the alcohol, it's going to worsen your anxiety. So, you know, it's just a temporary solution. You're just like you were saying early on in the, in the episode, you're just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. You know, you really yep. need to, you know, you really need to treat the problem, not just, you know, um, a, a symptom. Yes. So, and, and that's something that, you know, us as a society, we really need to realize that pornography is a drug. And Dr. Donald Hilton, you know, does an incredible job of this, explaining, you know, how pornography acts like a drug. You know, it's literally connected to the eyes. It's like dopamine getting shot right into the brain through the eyes. And, you know, your pornography levels, and I'll talk maybe a little bit more about this later with our supplement. But what happens with pornography is every time someone views pornography, their brain creates dopamine, right? And part of the brain, it's released. The reward pathway says, I like that dopamine. The, the, the brain releases this dopamine and someone gets a feeling of, a sensation of a high and then that's why they go back to it is because they got that sensation but unfortunately what happens with that dopamine and dopamine is a good thing right it's not a bad thing we, we get dopamine when uh we eat food you know with relationships we have dopamine and so dopamine could be a good thing but with pornography those baseline dopamine levels right it's supposed to be here and with time after each viewing of pornography those baseline dopamine levels decline and that's, it's true with any drug, right? When you when you expose to it a drug, those baseline dopamine levels decline. And so people then require more of that drug to kind of feel normal, right? This is, they say, I need to survive. This is what I need to feel normal. And so that's kind of, you know, the understanding of why pornography affects the brain that way. Well, and when your baseline dopamine levels are lower like that, you're going to, you know, be more susceptible to depression, obviously, when your neurotransmitters are low. So yep, absolutely. You know, it makes a lot of sense how it causes depression. Janet, do you have some questions for Jordan? I do, because I'm a little shocked at the numbers of women. Um, and I imagine that's just because of the access of our hand devices. Mm -hmm. um, so, so my question to you is, what is the fallout that you're seeing from uh, the side of women that start having addiction to pornography? What kind of things are um, involved with them? So, you know, a lot of it is anxiety and depression and they're turning for something. Um, the, the rates of females viewing pornography is, you know, a, a majority of that is probably in teenagers, okay? The research shows that once women hit about, you know, 25, the rates of pornography viewing go down quite a bit. But it's really that young population, which is so scary because those teenagers, you know, that's when the brain is doing so much transformation. Obviously, we know with neuroplasticity, the brain can change forever. But so much important growth happens during that young time, right? And obviously, you know, hormone levels might play a role in it as well with teenagers' testosterone level being higher. You know, they're more likely to look for things like that. And they're curious and things like that. Um, and so, 
it definitely is probably a, more of an issue for females kind of in that younger, younger population. But I think, you know, some of the same things that are causing men to look at it more frequently is, is the same for females as far as, you know, the availability of it. So you mentioned Donald Hilton's book. He's a neurosurgeon, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And his book is He Restores My Soul, correct? He Restores My Soul. Yep. Okay. So part of, part of treatment, um, that you recommend is it is a 12-step program is that correct absolutely yep i think 12-step okay. program is you know necessary for anyone who's trying to overcome any addiction and and go into that 12-step program like any 12-step program there's a we have we search out a higher power correct absolutely yes the second step you know of of the 12-step is realizing that there's a power higher than yourself and that you need that power in order to come overcome your addiction and that's so kind of where his title is you know is right. labeled with he restores my soul talking about that higher power yeah that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense so so with females being affected and i guess males in the family in general so and i think we have a it's not just you know pornography in the sense but it's just um you know hollywood and you know whether it be male or female models um bodybuilders what have you it has actually driven women and men to to look at themselves and look at themselves inferior. And you were talking about, you know, there's, you know, probably an increased risk of plastic surgery for, for women, maybe mostly. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So like you said, you know, our society as a whole, and part of this is the money, right? They're using sexuality because they know they can earn, earn money off of it, but we are hyper-sexualizing, you know, the female body primarily. And so what is what this does is it, it makes males think that their partner needs to be that way, right? Which pornography, you know, it's 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 unrealistic, right? You know, those people, it's just unrealistic. And then as far as the females go, they feel like they have to be a certain way. And so kind of between that combination, you know, things like plastic surgery happen and people get breast lifts and things like that. And, you know, the research shows that people who are getting these breast lifts double their risk of suicidal thoughts and suicide suicide. You know, some research shows, you know, after a certain amount of time, it even quadruples the risk of suicide. And so that's that's just scary. Right. But this whole society thing about hypersexualizing the female body is a huge part as well, you know, of pornography and of, of why I think, you know, it's also an issue. Yeah, it's not really just um... go ahead, Janet. Well, I, I, I feel like just interjecting to that. Um, the scary part for me is um, as a parent thinking about our young girls, what message are we sending these girls? Because right now, I mean, there's been about a hoopla about Netflix and some of their, but that's been out there for a while, but it just seems like it just gets further and further in a younger generation. And so I'm, I'm frightened at the message that we're sending that there's not even going to be any innocence left. Um, so what are your thoughts about what, I, I mean, are you, yeah. am I expressing what you're thinking or what Ab other parents are saying or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why the home is so important, right? Like we, we know we need to try to attack this problem as a society at, at, as a whole, but it's not going to happen completely, right? We can, we want to make steps in the right direction and educate people and things like that, but it's going to continue to be a problem forever, both of these issues. And so that's why, you know, educating your own children in the home is such an important thing. Children are being exposed on average to pornography at the age of 11. Okay. And in some cases it's like four, you know, sometimes it's, it's older than that, but it's just at such a young age that they're being exposed to this. And so education in the home 
and you know teaching your children what those principles you believe are important are, is such an important thing there's a book that we uh we read to our children we've got four little kids and um there's a book that we read to them called good pictures bad pictures and you know it, it just goes through and it talks about pornography you know because kids don't understand what what's pornography right you know i don't even remember how old i was before i knew what that word even meant and so you know just educating on uh you know what pornography is what you're supposed to do when you are exposed to it because that first time you know they've done a lot of research on this first time that people are exposed to it and what that can do to the brain um and you know kids are they're going to be exposed and they're going to you know they're going to have these sensations of dopamine being released they're going to have this confusion this like guilt they're not going to know what to do with it and so if you can educate your children you know when that happens because it will happen you know they're going to see pornography but when that happens they need to have the trust in you to come to you to kind of to address that and, and go through it. Yeah, it's not a tough, it's not an easy, it's not an easy subject to discuss with your kids for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's something that's, that, um, you know, has to, has to be talked about just, just like drug addiction. And Absolutely. I think maybe, maybe even more so because it's just so accessible. I mean, what kind of kid doesn't have an iPod or an iPhone or a, computers some kind of access they have it, you know it, pornography is more accessible than drugs i i'm gonna guess um, maybe not you know yeah. maybe not alcohol but alcohol is easier to lock up than all your computers and all your electronic devices so yeah it's definitely something you have to be you have to talk about your your kids with and you know speaking of it not going away i mean i did some research on you know the history of the word and it's a greek word and it was originally defined as any work or art or literature depicting the life of prostitutes. It, the word is a thousands of years old, mm -hmm. which which just means that it's 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 an oh it's it's old. It's not going away anytime soon. Um, yeah, has it progressed possibly because of because of the access? Um, but that doesn't mean that we we that means we have to deal with it because it's not going away anytime soon. Yep, exactly. Yep, we've got to learn the different things that can help. You know, both those people who are struggling with it, uh, but also those family members, you know, because it's just as hard for those family members when they find out that, you know, a spouse or a, a, a child or something like that is dealing with this addiction. Uh, it can be just as hard on them. So. So I know you have some um, thoughts and, and some plans that you've worked through uh, your treatment of your clients. If you would just enlighten us a little bit of what that looks like and, and how, uh, if somebody comes to you, um, you approach it with them. Yeah. So there was a book written back in the seventies, uh, from a Dr. Victor Klein. And he mentions four things in that book, you know, that he, he felt was necessary to overcome pornography addiction. And I'm going to mention those, but then kind of add a fifth one. So the first thing he says, someone has to do to overcome a pornography addiction is have that desire, right? You know, that 28% right. of people feel like it's an issue. If that you're that 75% of, of people, then, you know, you're not going to be able to overcome it. So first thing is to have that, that desire. The second thing he mentions is the 12-step program, right? And a lot of research goes to show, you know, the, the effects of the 12-step and how it can be, how it can be helpful. Um, and so there's a lot of different types of 12-step programs. You can actually get uh, to be part of a 12-step program specifically for, for pornography, or they have, you know, um, just different types of, uh, 12 steps that are really good for that. And then just like generic ones as well. So being part of a 12 step is really important. Uh, the other thing he talks about that I believe is such an important part is access, right? Uh, just the ability to access the pornography. 
So things like filters are really important, you know, and sometimes people really need to just look at their lives and say, if I really want to overcome this, I need to limit my access to this, whether that means, you know, uh, dumbing down my smartphone, you know, or something like that and putting myself in good situations, uh, filling my life with good, you know, it's going to be one of those things that really helps with that as well. So expand on that, Jordan, filling your life with good. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of a philosophy that I've always had is that if you have something bad in your life that you want to get rid of, you've got to fill it with something good, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether that's, you need to really focus on your relationships, uh, social interactions is such an important part for overcoming addiction just with that support. And that's why 12 steps, you know, that's one of the reasons that they're successful. Um, doing grat things like gratitude journal, you know, exercising, finding new hobbies, family history, whatever it is, you know, you've got to find some good to put in your life. Because if, if you're, if you're, uh, there was this quote that I heard one time and it was kind of about keeping a clear thoughts in your mind. And it said, your mind is like a stage, you know, and you can only have one act on the stage at a time. And if you are filling it with a good act, then there's no room for that bad act. And so I really, I really like that. Well, and where your thoughts go, your actions go. Absolutely. Um, so that's very important. You know, speaking of some of the things you discussed, you know, exercise, gratitude journal, um, a hobby. So, you know, really all three of those things, what they really do, we talk about all the time in this program, there is no better antidepressant than exercise. I mean, I say that pretty broadly, but I do believe that, mm -hmm. um, you know, and really what you're doing with that exercise is you're, you know, instead of going down that bad road, you're putting something like exercise in there that helps stimulate dopamine. That's really what happens in other neurotransmitters like epinephrine and norepinephrine and serotonin and, you know, all, you know, all kinds of neurotransmitters. So that's why exercise is, is so good. And it doesn't have to be vigorous either. Correct. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, if you're struggling at work or something like that, you could just, you know, run around the building for a couple of minutes, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love to use the word movement with my patients just because, you know, you say exercise and they say no. Yep. no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So, wa walking is movement, you know. That's right. Uh, standing, standing for long periods of time, you know, is good. So it's just really important to, to move. Absolutely. And like you said, that dopamine, those are, you know, natural drugs of increasing dopamine so that you can feel feel happy and not need something else to kind of fill that dopamine so so i wanted to speak to you too about healthy relationships because I, I i kind of feel like that is true when we're talking about other addictions too that um the healthy personal relationships developing those help you as well so do you have any thoughts about that yeah absolutely and uh, you know, what, that goes for parent-child relationship and also spouses, you know, and um, you want your kids to be able to trust you. And so building that relationship where you're not responding with anger is really important. And that's one of the things that they'll talk about in the uh, programs that they have for spouses of those who are addicted is, you know, your first thought is going to be to be angry. And that's completely normal, right? That's a normal response to be angry at someone who, you know, is essentially committing this adultery with this uh, made-up person. And so that anger is such a normal response. Um, but, you know, it's going to, when you respond with too much anger, people are going to lose trust, right? And so that's something that is really important is to try to have that trusting relationship where people are open because research shows you're more likely to overcome addiction if you can be open about it to your spouse, right? Um, and, you know, Dr. Hilton, he, he goes in and he talks a lot about this of, you know, you, you will always fall back to your addiction if you don't open up about it to your spouse. 
And so that just right there, you know, just shows how important uh, it truly is to have the spouse be a part of the healing process uh, for an addiction. But then, you know, just once and people, that's just a natural thing. When people overcome their addiction, the relationship with the spouse gets so much better. You know, every part of their lives they mentioned gets better. Um, just their, you know, their friendship and even, you know, their sex life and things like that. They say it's a lot better once people are able to overcome their addictions. Um, and so, yeah, people need to realize how important that these relationships are. And pornography numbs people, right? It makes them think that you, you because the other part of pornography is oxytocin. When people look at pornography, oxytocin is being released and it confuses them. And they think that they can get that, that love uh, from this from this pornography, but that's just not the case. That only comes, you know, true love only comes with, with real relationships. Yeah. With true intimacy, right? True intimacy. Absolutely. Right. So what is the fourth step? Yeah. So the fourth thing uh, that Dr. Klein mentions is to actually see a therapist. And I have found this to be really important for people, you know, uh, with any type of addiction, you know, therapists are really good for helping people change the way that they think, helping them realize why they're doing things the way they are, uh, especially if there's any underlying anxiety or depression, that can be a, a big part of it, making sure that that is, is fully addressed as well. So, yeah. So I, I know, go ahead, Jordan. I was just gonna say, I've had clients who have, you know, we've tried to include that as part of their therapy as well, just because uh, it is it is an important part of it. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and, Lindsay, if you can stream callers, I'm going to go ahead and ask for if there's any callers or comments or questions. Please send them to Facebook or you can call us 509-537-0411. Um, Jordan would love to take your questions. Um, you can remain anonymous for sure. So um, please uh, send in any kind of, call us with any kind of questions. Um, another thing, Jordan, is so I know it's hard for you or impossible for you to, to, to diagnose, you know, with a simple question like this, but what would you, would you consider, what would you consider an addiction of pornography? Looking at it once a month, once a week, once a day, or how would you define that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, fight the new drug, that organization, they kind of go into this topic um, about, you know, what's an addiction and what's more of just, you know, uh, something that someone's indulging in every once in a while. And I, th I think the real thing is, um, is if you, if you can cut it, if you can just cold Turkey say, you know, for, for a month, I'm just going to avoid this thing. And if people are able to do that without having any types of cravings, you know, you know, then that would be a good sign that it's not a true addiction. But in my opinion, you know, I believe that no amount, no form of pornography or amount of pornography viewing is a good thing. I think it's just harmful to relationships and I don't think it's great for the brain, you know, and research is, is starting to show that. And so, you know. So the difference between maybe addiction and doesn't, just because you're not addicted doesn't mean it's it's good. It's the yeah. same thing as alcohol. We talk about it all the time in this program. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, and, there's, and there's different stages of addiction, right, too, because there's some yeah. people who, you know, it's literally they cannot live their lives. They are on they're they're viewing pornography four or five hours a day. And then there's other people, you know, where it's coming back to them every couple of weeks or every couple of months um, and continuing to be a problem for them. So the word addiction, you know, maybe it's not the best word to describe for everybody, um, but, you know, there's different opinions on that as well. So, yeah, I mean, we say it all the time on this program that any amount of alcohol is a poison, period. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that. You know, it doesn't happen sometimes with, you know, including myself, um, you know, that I don't, I, I drink for sure. 
Um, but um, it's still, it's a poison and it is, it is bad for our bodies. So, and it yeah. has a lot of, every time I do drink, I realize the repercussions that it has in our bodies. So, yeah. And so, just because someone sees pornography doesn't make them an addict, right? We, like we said, everyone's going to, you know, probably see this at some point in their lives. And so uh, it's what happens when you see that, right? Is it, are people leaning more kind of following that path and going down that pathway? Or are they turning around and saying, you know, that's not for me? Well, one of the issues is too, is how do we define pornography? I mean, can you, can you expand on that? Because I mean, there's probably PG 13 movies now that have pornography in them, right? I mean, depending on how we define it, can you, I don't know if you're ready for that question, but how do we define that? Yeah. I think anything that uh, creates, you know, a sexual desire that causes this release of dopamine that is not natural would be considered pornography. So you know, just, even, even immodesty could be considered pornography. Um, yeah, and just think about how many times we're hit with that stuff, like you're saying in advertising and stuff like that, just um, in Hollywood stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So um, you do have so you you talked a little bit about um, a story of a murder uh, of a story of a murderess, right? Where you bury your weapons. Yeah, we had talked about that story. before. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, going back to the step of not allowing your ac yourself access to pornography. So for someone who struggles with pornography addiction, right, this is uh, kind of a little story I like to tell. There was this group of people. They were very wicked people. They loved to murder and, you know, do all sorts of evil things. And they kind of had a whole change as um, a community. You know, they had a change of heart and they said, we are no longer going to commit these murders. We want to be a more unified people. We don't feel good about these murders we've done before. We, we, we don't want to do this anymore. So what they did, what they decided to do is they decided to bury their weapons right in the ground. So they dug holes, threw their weapons in the ground and placed dirt over it. And the reason they did this is because they knew that previous part of them, you know, was a murder. And so they wanted to have no access to their weapons so that they would never be tempted to turn back to uh, their weapons of war to, you know, to murder people. And there came a time where they actually needed them and their family. Luckily, they had great family members who said, nope, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing this. And so they buried their weapons of war. So with an addiction, you know, you have to do that. You have to bury your weapons of war if you truly want to overcome it. And I, I think, you know, after desire, this is the number one thing that should be happening is trying to prevent that access. And so, you know, for some people, I'll tell them, you know, you, you probably should get rid of your smartphone, you know. Or have, you know, your spouse or someone put a filter on it that, that dumbs down your smartphone so that it's, you know, so that you can't access it. There is, you know, a lot of great filters out there. I've got a friend who uh, is one of the owners of NetAngel, which is a filter specifically for pornography addiction. Uh, I mean, he's talked to me before about, you know, there's a lot of ways people can get around things. And so it's really important that, you know, kids are going to, they're not going to be open about those types of things. And so, uh, you know, doing your research that way and getting a great filter can be really important but just doing everything possible to limit that access and then putting yourself in a good situation. One thing that's really interesting that Dr. Hilton pointed out is he said, you know, some of these couples that are watching some of these sitcoms together, and it's just such an, a normal thing now, but they'll, they'll slip in pornography here and there in these sitcoms. Yep. And he said, that is just getting people ready for addiction. He said, people have to be careful and not be, you know, so complacent about things like that. So, so talk about, um, social media triggers. Yeah, social media absolutely could be a big one for people. And so I, I just tell people, you know, with pornography addiction, just stay away from social media. Honestly, I know there's a lot of good things about it. 
but pornography is such a difficult fight that you just you got to make it easier for yourself and so i honestly just recommend people avoid social media for that reason and obviously you know we know there's some research showing that there's a lot of other negatives to social media with increasing anxiety and depression and things like that so you know for the most part people will be okay with that so i'm liking this more and more you're telling me i can throw my smartphone away <laughs> and i can get rid of social media i love Abs it absolutely <laughs> absolutely i would really like that unfortunately when you kind of have a business you kind of need to engage in some of that stuff unfortunately but yeah um as we stream live on facebook <laughs> yeah and, and you know what's funny is uh a couple weeks ago as we were getting ready for this i, I had my wife do this to my phone i said Listen, I, I want to see what it's like to just, you know, not use the internet at all. And so I cut off all internet, no social media or anything like that. And, you know, our, our relationship's been better because instead of turning to the, the sports, you know, <laughs> at night, you know, we're able to have a better conversation. And so just the quality of life, you know, even not for treatment for pornography, but just, just in general. And she's done the same thing. And just social media, avoiding that in general can be really good for people. So, well, and that's just a good tip. And go ahead, Janet. Well, I, I guess um, I just want to interject, you know, from some of the notes that I'm seeing for the podcast, um, really you're describing ways for people to, to get out, like a plan, like if this happens, then this. And so prevention of not being on social media, but there's always going to be that, you know, carrot being hung out there in our society because it's so prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, so do you help your clients come up with escape plans or does their therapist or what does that look like? Cause I imagine that's true for people on alcohol addiction as well and other addictions. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and the therapists are the people who maybe work a little bit more with that. But one thing I recommend to people, you know, specifically for pornography addiction, we talked before about filling your life with good, you know, that can go for any addiction, but one specific to pornography is having like a sign, you know, something that you do, when you see pornography, you do the sign to kind of erase your mind of that thought and then kind of go somewhere else. Right. And so it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it's touching your ear or, you know, rubbing your shoulder, you do a sign that that's your delete mark. That's your delete mark. Start over. Uh, and once if you see something, you touch your delete mark. Uh, and especially for kids, one thing that's really good is they, they educate them to go talk to your parent. As soon as you see something that's inappropriate, you know, turn it off. And run and tell a trusted adult, tell your parent that what you just saw so that you can you kind of work through your thoughts and feelings with them there. So and that can be true, you know, for someone who struggles with pornography with their spouse. Mm -hmm. Sometimes sometimes that can be a lot for the spouse to kind of take in all that thing. So with 12 step programs and stuff, sometimes they have people you can kind of, you know, be buddies with to kind of work on temptation, things like that. But, you know, having a delete mark and, uh, you know, you got to go away. If you stay there, you know, if someone's got a pornography addiction, they press their delete mark, but they don't you know, exit out of that page, you know, that's not going to take care of it. So, so as far as some medical treatments, like medications, we talked about low dose naltrexone, we've talked about um, SSRIs. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So unfortunately the research, I mean, there's been a lot of research with pornography, the, the effects of it, the harms of it and everything like that. But as far as the treatment for pornography goes, you know, specifically with medications, there's not a whole lot out there. Everything we have right now is these, you know, you know, essentially, observational studies of one patient who took this medication and did well with it. A little bit of research with the SSRIs working on serotonin there, showing, you know, with a few case studies that that was able to help those people overcome their pornography addiction. We know that, you know, a lot of serotonin can kind of lower libido. So maybe that's part of it there as well. And then some 
you know, a little bit of research with higher dose naltrexone. Um, and then once again, it was just a couple case studies that showed that naltrexone could potentially be helpful uh, for overcoming that addiction, you know, just maybe with the inflammation that it can help with there, uh, working on the opioid receptors. But um, so what are some more um, integrative um uh, integrative medical treatments, and, and you have a supplement specifically um, targeted at, at addiction, per se, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said, I've been, kind of been going through this journey for several years, and over the last, you know, year and a half or so, I've said, you know, let's, with my knowledge, let's see if we can create something that's going to specifically help people with addiction, and, you know, even maybe specifically pornography addiction. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of research with, you know, herbs and amino acids and supplements and vitamins uh, for pornography addiction. There is, however, you know, more research for other types of addiction that affect the brain similar to pornography. And one of those drugs that's very similar with how it affects the brain is cocaine. And so with our with our supplement that we created, we went and did a lot of the research on the different amino acids and the herbs and the vitamins that have been shown in research for people with cocaine excuse me, a cocaine addiction to lower cravings and prevent relapse. And so we were able to kind of put that together. Um, and, you know, we've started some early kind of observational studies with people for pornography and we're having really awesome results. So we're really excited. You know, we're just, we're a young company, um, but with a, with a big kind of vision of what we can do for people. That's really what we're all about. You know, our company, we're called Avanti Nutraceuticals, but we truly wanted to provide, you know, in my opinion, that fifth part of overcoming addiction, which is fixing the broken brain, right? Um, and we do that with with Ryloa and then things like you mentioned earlier, exercise, gratitude journal, etc. But that's what Ryloa does, and that's Ryloa is the name of our supplement. Uh, it stands for Rid Your Life of Addiction. Um, and the purpose Great name. Of, I love that name. Thank you. Yeah. And so the purpose of Ryloa is kind of threefold. We created it to improve baseline dopamine levels. So like I mentioned earlier with addiction, those, you know, with pornography addiction and any type of addiction, you know, the supplement's not just for pornography. We're just trying to really help people with that. Um, but it improves those baseline dopamine levels. Another neurotransmitter we haven't talked about is glutamate. Uh, glutamate is also excitatory, kind of like dopamine. And the supplement also helps improve baseline glutamate levels. So that's one thing is it improves baseline dopamine levels. It helps the brain's natural break system, right? So when people eat food, there comes a point where they can stop eating most of the time. Uh, with pornography, people just keep wanting more and more and more. And so this, you know, some of the ingredients in here are kind of helping the, bra the brain say, hey, you know, you don't need that much dopamine, uh, kind of acts like the police to kind of calm that down. And then the third thing that the supplement is intended to do is just lower inflammation. We know inflammation is a huge part of depression, anxiety, addiction, and things like that. And so the supplements aim to help people uh, with inflammation as well in the brain. Awesome. It's got turmeric and N-acetylcysteine in it, correct? Yep. Awesome. Great ingredients. Great. That's a great supplement that you developed there, Jordan. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're streaming it there. We were, Lindsay was streaming it there on our, on um, our stream. So yeah. So um, com is the website for that. Awesome. So you have a patient story, a specific patient story, how somebody, um, you know, overcame pornography addiction by using your supplement. Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, we haven't done a ton of marketing uh, with our product yet. Uh, we're trying to get some observational things going, um, but we've had such incredible and positive feedback that it's getting us really excited. Uh, you know, I've, most of the people that we've uh, had take this uh, are people that I know or, the, you know, the therapist that I know who's had take it. And kind of the feedback that we've gotten is for people who've already recovered, you know, essentially from pornography addiction. It's kind of a lifelong thing, though, that, you know, that we recommend is 
Um, you know, pornography addiction can be always susceptible to it. The brain's got those pathways. It might turn back to at any point. And so you just got to be really cautious the rest of your life for this. Um, but we've had patients who have, or clients who have overcome their pornography addiction several years ago, but they still, you know, sense those cravings and they've given us great feedback. You know, those solution, those uh, cravings are just way less. And then we've had, you know, some people, even some young teenagers who have taken it and it doesn't, you know, they, one thing they say is it doesn't take it away completely. But it gives me that, you know, it gives me the strength that I need to overcome it. It lessens those cravings quite a bit and kind of gives me that, you know, that umph that I need to, to avoid it. So we're really excited, you know, about all the people that it's going to be able to help. Um, and we look to we're actually hoping to do a study with a local university here on the product as well for pornography addiction. So we're excited for that. Awesome. We will have to keep us updated on that study for sure. Janet, do you have some questions for do you have any questions for Dr., uh, for Jordan Hale? Yeah. So um. We, we touched on low-dose naltrexone just a little bit, and I know this is becoming kind of popular through um, just our industry right now. How does the low-dose naltrexone help our patients that you're treating with addiction? Yeah, so we honestly haven't done a ton of, uh, you know, research on that. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not a, a whole lot of research on there. Um, and we don't have a ton of patients who are specifically taking it for that. We do really want to, as a company and also me as a provider, get involved with some more research for addiction and specifically with low dose naltrexone, you know, just doing that in and of itself uh, for addiction. We know it can do wonders uh, for other things. And I think I was telling you guys, you know, earlier, you know, I use it a lot for people with autoimmune disease and chronic mm -hmm. inflammation. And uh, we had a young girl uh, where we were using it to try to lower inflammation for her autoimmune thyroid condition. Um, but one of the, she also had, you know, type one diabetes. And one of the things we saw is all of a sudden she's requiring a ton less insulin that she needed, right? She's had this for years and she takes this naltrexone and it somehow reverses some of the damage to her pancreas, we assume, right? And makes her so that she, you know, needs a third now of the insulin as she did before. And so there's just so much promise with naltrexone. And we definitely look to, you know, do some research with, you know, different types of addiction, but we'll probably start with pornography addiction for patients with low dose naltrexone. So. That's awesome. That's a great story on that patient too. And it just makes you realize that how many diseases, type 1 diabetes being included, are actually inflammatory, is an inflammatory response and an autoimmune response. And is that why low-dose naltrexone works? It's interesting theory for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm absolutely. pretty excited just from the standpoint of, um, we're talking about things that we can do in our own lives without putting a pharmaceutical Always, I mean, low dose naltrexone would be, but uh, nutritional supplements, lifestyle changes. I mean, that's really empowering to me because that means there's a lot of things that we can do in our own lives that we're capable of doing that we have access to if we have some guide and tool, you know, people to help um, channel us. But that gives us hope um, that there's things that um, are making a difference in people's lives right now. Um, without having to spend a lot of money, um, it, it's affordable, it's, it's accessible. Um, the 12-step program, um, we've heard um, on our show before with other patients that it's, yeah. it's really, it, it's something that's working for people. So I, I'm super excited with what you're doing and helping people in your community because um, just as a female and just as a mother, I, I, um, I'm kind of horrified a little bit about what this 
what is is telling our young girls and our young boys and what that means to their relationships as they grow up and how um, that's going to affect their families. And so, you know, I'm super excited that um, you're offering hope to people and to families. So thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you. And one other thing that we as Avanti Nutraceuticals, you know, we're we're trying to implement right now is we're trying to create an education program, uh, you know, kind of some of the things that we've talked about today, but we're going to try to get some of the top specialists uh, who are well educated in pornography addiction and overcoming pornography addiction, uh, just a free education for, for people, uh, to, for the family so that people can have that resource, uh, to understand, you know, how pornography affects people and just all the different things that people can do because, you know, relapse, it discourages people. And when people relapse with any type of addiction, they say, you know, is this possible to overcome? And it absolutely is right. And we're just trying to make that even easier for people. So, so Jordan, what, what fires you up about what you do? So, I mean, with, you know, integrated medicine and, you know, the addiction part is it's all, it's all stemmed from me just loving. I just love to help people. Right. I just get such uh, joy out of seeing people's life change. And, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities in my life, you know, service mission and things like that to provide the service to people and to kind of see, and as, you know, as a provider, just the changes you can see for people um, and just to see their quality of life improve. And then, you know, as like I said earlier, pornography has affected just about everyone. And I've, you know, I've, I've had it uh, be of an impact in my life for people that I know. And so to be able to provide something that makes overcoming that addiction easier, you know, um, that's really what that's really why we're doing this is because we just want people to have, you know, a happier life. That's great. I'm so glad you came on today. You're a perfect guest for our podcast. Um, our goal is to educate and empower individuals about their own health. And, you know, um, you did a good job of doing that today. So thank you so much for being on today, Jordan. Please update us on any studies that that are, are, are coming your way and um, that education um, that you're talking about. Let us know if there's some videos or something like that that we can share with our listeners and viewers. We'd really, we'd really love to do that. So Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. All right, Jordan, you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Wednesday. We will have Dr. Ellen McKnight on our show. She's a rheumatologist and she is going to be talking about transparency and pricing in healthcare and how specialists have embraced the direct care model. So tune in Thursday. It's actually 2 to 3 p.m. to fit her schedule. Super excited to have her on. Um, you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.